Coming up on today's message with Pastor Johnny. And that the resurrection of Christ is the focal point in reference to the scriptures, not what you wear, not what kind of songs you sing, not what time the church is, not what kind of worship you have going on. The Christ is the focal point of how we get saved. Amen. Let's get into the word. Uh, Today's message is going to come from uh, 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter. I'm going to be reading the uh, 1st through the 11th verse. Again, that is 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 11. I'm reading the New International Version. Hear ye the word of the Lord. Let's see what it has to say for us today. Now, brothers and sisters... I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For I have received, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed. God's word for God's people, and God's people said amen. Pray with me, church. Oh, Lord, our God, how excellent is your name in all the earth. God, we thank you for another opportunity to gather once again in your name uh, to, to Bask in your word. Lord God, we ask that your will be done in our lives, in our homes, in our families, in our jobs, in our relationships. We ask your will upon this message. Uh, We ask that every thought that I think and every word that I speak be acceptable in your sight, Lord God. Hide me behind your cross. Allow me to point people to Jesus. Forgive us for any sins that we've committed by word, thought, or deed against your divine majesty and help us to forgive others. For that perfect prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray says to forgive our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. 
Help us to continue not to yield to temptation. Continue to deliver us from the evil one. For you are the king of glory. You are the Lord strong and mighty. You're the one that can do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ever ask or imagine. And it is in your son's precious, perfect, powerful name. Jesus the Christ, we pray. Amen. Uh, for the time that we get to spend together today, I would like to talk uh, about a simple principle. Stick to the basics. Stick to the basics. So I saw this article posted in one of the clergy Facebook groups I'm a part of uh, the other day, and it was referencing a Gallup poll that was taken. Gallup has been taking polls for decades uh, to get the temperature of what people thought on certain events um, and certain issues. And uh, this article referenced a Gallup poll uh, for the first time since they've started keeping track of these things, less than half of the United States says uh, religion is important. Uh, the 2020 numbers came in and 48% of the people polled said that religion, only 48% of the people polled said that religion was important. And only 30% of the people polled said that they had attended a worship service in the past week. Yes, we're in the midst of a pandemic and attending a worship service means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Uh, but Gallup has been polling this since 1950. And there's been a consistent decline in church attendance since 2000. So even if this was a bad year, uh, that would account for 2020. The fact that it's been on the decline since 2000, you can't all blame on the pandemic. Well, this article was posted and the people in the Facebook group uh, took this as an opportunity to argue about politics, doctrine, same-sex rights, uh, what kind of music is played at church, what people read, what people wear to church, everything they could think of about why they felt the church is in decline. And I wonder why, but it seemed like many people in the comment section had started commenting before actually reading the article. Uh, and many people in the comment section felt like if churches just acted the way they did, if churches just operated the way they operated, uh, they felt like the way that they operated was the only way for churches to operate. And if everyone else acted like them, churches all over the country would thrive. Even if there was one church that was arguing the church was in decline and they liked things one way and there was another church that was arguing that the uh, church was in decline and they liked things the opposite way. Uh, I have a hunch, like I said, but I think many of them weren't concerned about the article. They just wanted to use this as an opportunity 
to argue and leave comments. Uh, because when I read the article, the article was saying flat out that people just don't think religion or church for that matter is important anymore. And even fewer people think that going to church is worthwhile. This article was not an opportunity to argue about hymns versus contemporary Christian music or whether or not you can dress casual at a church or wear a suit and tie uh, or what politicians certain Christians should be supporting. Uh, when I read the article, I felt that while the church is fighting one another, the world is looking at us crazy or even worse, ignoring us. While the situation in the article may seem unique to what was going on for us, a church losing its place in the community in which it's in happened before. It's happened in scripture. It's happened to the Corinthian church. Uh, the people in Corinth that Paul was writing his letter to, this genuine Pauline letter, this letter that we know that we know Paul wrote. He wrote it to a group that was struggling to identify itself. It was wrapped up in its own concerns. First Corinthians was written uh, or received rather about 10 years after the area was established as a Roman colony. And, and Paul had spent some time in Corinth and started a church and then he left to go start other churches. Uh, Corinth was a thriving metropolitan city next to the water, next to the harbor, with a diverse population. Everybody from recently freed slaves to wealthy business owners were all in this area, and a diverse city makes for a diverse church. But no matter where they were in life, uh, no matter what kind of social status, economic uh, uh, status, education, no matter what was going on in this new thriving city, the people of Corinth thought that they could do whatever they wanted. These Corinthians were concerned about their freedom and they wanted to behave how they wanted to behave. And the Corinthians wanted to have their freedom and act however they felt. And uh, the church was made up of people from the city, so they operated that same way in the church. The people of the Corinthian church wanted to have their freedom, and they wanted to act however they want. Uh, so in 1 Corinthians, Paul is writing a letter to the Corinthian church to let them know that they have gotten the wrong idea about certain issues. Uh, this letter was to remind the Corinthian church to stick to the basics. Stick to what got you here. Uh, Christ died from, for you. Christ rose from the dead. That message was passed to you. So you need to go pass that message to someone else. I'll say it again. Paul said to stick to the basics. 
Stick to what got you here. Christ died for you. Christ rose from the dead. Somebody told me, I told you, you go tell somebody else. He lets them know in this passage of scripture, it's a, it's a change in the scripture. The first 14 chapters, Paul has been talking about the fact that Christ sacrificed himself for all creation so that we could have access to eternal life. And so the first uh, 14 chapters is talking about that wonderful sacrifice that Christ made. Uh, but when we get to chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, he now switches uh, not only to talk about that sacrificial death, but now to talk about that glorious resurrection, that great getting up. And he has two things that he talks about in these 11 verses, and I'm going to talk about them and then go on about my way. The first thing he talks about is the prominence of the resurrection. Let the church say prominence, put prominence in the comments. Uh, Paul, in these first four verses, lays down two very important points. He lets us know Number one, that the resurrection of Christ is the focal point in reference to salvation and that the resurrection of Christ is the focal point in reference to the scriptures, not what you wear, not what kind of songs you sing, not what time the church is, not what kind of worship you have going on, the Christ is the focal point of how we get saved. If somebody want to sing hymns, that's fine. If somebody want to sing uh, contemporary music, that's fine. But the focus should be on Christ. And while we're around as a church arguing about what kind of floor we should put down or what color the pews should be or who's going to be sitting on my assigned seat, we are losing what is important. We need to be telling folks that Christ died for you. Christ has and Christ will come again. We need to be spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ instead of shrinking our social club. Paul says to focus on what's important while we are fighting on what's not important because there was some class issues going on in the Corinthian church because rich folk and poor folk were in the church together and sometimes the rich folk thought that they need to eat first. Sometimes the rich folk thought that they should get more status in the church but all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So Paul said to focus on now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you. I got it. I told you. Which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. You learned something about Jesus. Now you need to pass it to somebody else. Focus on Christ and what Christ did. Focus on the fact that what Christ did as well is what the scriptures said he was going to do. This was not just out of thin air. 
uh, over and over again in the Old Testament, there were prophecies about what Jesus, the Messiah, was going to do, where he was going to be born, what lineage he was going to come through, what was going to happen in his life leading up to the death and the resurrection, what he was going to do to open the blinded eyes, what he was going to do to set the captives free, what he was going to do to heal the brokenhearted. Everything that was prophesied for Jesus was done. Focus on Christ. Christ is the focal point of salvation. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Not if you sing your favorite hymn at church. Not if somebody gets the right role. Not if I stay in a position forever and ever. Focus on Christ. That is the prominence of the resurrection. And then he moves from the prominence of the resurrection uh, to the proof of the resurrection. He talks about who uh, Jesus uh, appeared to after uh, he rose from the dead. This is not something to lie about. There's, there's just not. Uh, the, there was a stone rolled in front of the tomb and a Roman seal put on the tomb. Uh, if you broke the Roman seal, somebody broke you. This is a whole lot to be lying about, you understand? Uh, the people that were professing Jesus at the beginning of the church were, were beaten and bloodied and had to fight lions and dipped in boiling oil. They were made martyrs. Why lie about that if you didn't have to? But he says also as well, uh, psychologically speaking, everybody can't have the same hallucination. If, if, if we were to pump a room full of some uh, hallucinogenic drug uh, and there were a bunch of people in the room, we'd all have our own individual hallucinations. We wouldn't all come back talking about we saw the same person Amen. doing the same thing. But there's proof of the resurrection, and that's what he talks about in the, in the next verses. Uh, but I'm going to help Paul out a little bit. I'm going to... I'm going to help him out uh, because in verse 5, he starts with, uh, you know, well, verse 4, he says that he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures and that he appeared to Cephas. That's Peter. Skipped a little bit, I, I, I'm, but I'm going to help him out, right? He starts with Peter, but the text tells us that somebody else saw Jesus Resurrected or found out that Jesus was resurrected before Peter found out. If you go to Matthew 28 and you go to Mark 16 and you go to Luke 24 and you go to John chapter 20, all of them start with the arrival of the women. Even Mary Magdalene. They're all at uh, all those passages of scripture show the women going to the tomb and finding the tomb empty. 
and the stone rolled away. In all four Gospels, the women find it empty. Pastor, you say that all the time. Yes, I do. And I'm going to keep saying it until everybody gets it. The first Easter sermon was preached by women. The gospel message, what do we talk about? That Jesus was born of a virgin and, and suffered under Pontius Pilate and was crucified and dead, dead and buried. And the third day he rose from the dead and ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. At all them stories, there are women there. And so then after the part that Paul said, uh, uh, that Paul forgot that I, I put in because, you know, I'm going to help a brother out. Uh, Paul identifies in succession whom the risen Lord appeared. He, Cephas, which is Peter, and, and then the 12 without Thomas and with Thomas, uh, uh, and then more than 500 brothers and sisters, and then to James, and then to all the apostles, and then to finally Paul himself, who's the least of all of them. Uh, the, the, he persecuted the church. While the churches were meeting in people's houses, he ran into those buildings and would persecute and beat and even kill those for believing in Jesus because he didn't think that Jesus was the Messiah. But he uh, came around after he had his road to Damascus. So he says that to start a shift, uh, not just a shift in behavior, but a shift in uh, identification. The Corinthians were getting caught up on social status and thinking that social status in the world should transfer to social status in the church. But the Apostle Paul, the greatest apologist and missionary of the church that we have ever known, he doesn't like that idea. He scoffs at it. That's why he writes, by the grace of God, I am what I am. This grace towards me has not been in vain. Uh, on the contrary, he worked for it. Uh, verse 10 says, but the grace of God, I worked, no, I worked harder than all of them. Yet by the grace of God that was with me. Paul did a whole bunch of stuff for the church, more than most Christians will ever even get a sniff at. But he still said, but by the grace of God, there go I. Uh, he worked harder than any of them, and it's without, it's without God's grace. Paul has no place. He has no ministry without grace. He has no job without grace. He has no nothing. Paul knows is because of the grace that saves us. He is somebody that is suffering from imposter syndrome. He is somebody that does not feel qualified to do the job that he's done. He got that unmerited favor. If anybody was, would be disqualified from the church, it would have been somebody that had persecuted the church. But God's grace uh, began to work in Paul and continued that work, and it bore lots of fruit. He made missionary journeys and went from Asia Minor all the way to Europe. He planted a bunch of churches in the process at Iconium and Derbe and Ephesus and Colossae and Corinth and Thessalonica and Philippi and Rome. He planted these churches. He went out Amen. and told people about Jesus. 
Most of the apostles, with the exception of Thomas, stayed in the area where they had been. They never really left the Jerusalem area, but they were titans in the church and they worked with it. But Paul went all over where he could to start churches. And then he wrote letters to those churches, some of which we still have today and are a part of our New Testament. That's why we have a, a, a 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 11. That is actually the oldest account of the Easter sermon. You know, we have the Easter resurrection services or uh, passages in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But 1 Corinthians was written before all four of them. So this is our earliest Easter service uh, scripture. But he's been described because he did what he did as the apostle of the Gentiles or the apostle to the Gentiles. Because if we'd have left it to what the, the original apostles were doing, this would have only been an extension of Judaism. But because it was Paul more than any other apostle uh, who was responsible for Christianity becoming a dominant influence, in, in the history of the world. We have Paul to thank for how our churches are structured and operate. And if we have Paul to thank for it, what does the text say? What does Paul say? He lets us know that we need to stick to the basics. Amen. Christ has died. Christ rose from the dead. Somebody told me, I tell you, you need to go tell somebody else. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the doors of the church are open and we invite you to come. Pray with me, church. Oh, Lord, our God, how excellent is your name in all the earth. We thank you for this opportunity to have heard your word, God. Lord God, we ask that this word be something that uh, becomes a seed planted in good soil and produces a harvest for you, Lord God. That your Holy Spirit can do the work in the people that have a desire to know Christ and the pardoning of their sins, and they'll ask, what must I do to become saved? Let this harvest reap 30, 60, 100-fold. Let your Holy Spirit do a work in all those who need it. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thank you so much for watching this video please be sure to like, comment, subscribe, and share. Don't forget to connect with me on social media, Pastor Johnny Simpson Jr. on Facebook, at Pastor J. Simp Jr. on Instagram and Twitter. Thanks again for watching, and God bless.